Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I am inevitable. This is a day we've all been working to and working for on the path to Yes. Some would argue, why don't you just wait? Why don't you just wait until you get these witnesses the White House refuses to produce? It has taken us eight months to get a lower court ruling that Don McGahn has no absolute right to defy Congress. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So Jerry Nadler, the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, said at a news conference today, standing with our lady of impeachment, Nancy Pelosi, Ave Nancia, and other House leaders, he said, we must be clear. No one, not even the president, is above the law. The Republican response actually is, we must be clear. Uh, yeah, Trump is... And off we roll into articles of impeachment, which are reliably being described as narrowly drawn, which either sounds too small, like bringing a knife to a gunfight kind of thing, or elegant and stiletto-ish, depending on what pundit is backseat driving for Nancy Pelosi on what day. Basically... It's all about that sky-high crime and malevolent misdemeanor, the call of the two presidents, in which Trump wanted Zelensky to do infomercials on how Ukraine, not Russia, shot JFK, and how Joe Biden helped. I can't even bear to spell this out because, you know, the White House released the call notes, you've seen them, and we all know what he did, and he either is or isn't above the law. Meanwhile, Bill Barr, our benighted attorney general, continues to run roughshod over his own obituary by claiming paper infallibility for the American president, also droit de seigneur and les majestés and other stuff our nation was founded to repudiate. Trump, meanwhile, is yucking it up with Sergei Lavrov. Remember him? And he's talking about firing the FBI director, Christopher Wray. So are you with me in a flashback to Comey days? Fire the FBI director and meet with Sergei Lavrov. FBI bad, Kremlin good. How'd we get here again? You know who I like to be this disoriented with? A writer like David Roth. He's just hes just a really damn good writer. He won a Best American Sports Writing degree at the brilliant and dearly departed Deadspin. He has a piece out in New York Magazine called There's Nothing to Argue About, in which he successfully challenges anyone to find a midpoint between any two sides in our public discourse, given that geometry and also arithmetic and physics don't seem to work in America anymore. I'll be back with David Roth in just a minute, but first, the tweets. Shifty Schiff, a totally corrupt politician, made up a horrible and fraudulent statement, read it to Congress, and said, those words came from me. He got caught, was very embarrassed, yet nothing happened to him for committing this fraud. He'll eventually have to answer for this. 
Nadler just said that I pressured Ukraine to interfere in our 2020 election. Ridiculous. And he knows that is not true. Both the president and foreign minister of Ukraine said many times that there was no pressure. Nadler the Dems know this, but they refuse to acknowledge. America's great USMCA trade bill is looking good. It will be the best and most important trade deal ever made by the USA. Good for everybody. Farmers, manufacturers, energy, unions, tremendous support. Importantly, we will finally end our country's worst trade deal, NAFTA. To impeach a president who has proven through results, including producing perhaps the strongest economy in our country's history, to have one of the most successful presidencies ever, and most importantly, who has done nothing wrong, is sheer political madness. Hashtag 2020 election. David Roth, welcome to Trumpcast. Hi, thanks for having me. What took me so long? Maybe I should have been writing more about Donald Trump and how I feel about him. I feel like this is really on me. <laughs> That's it. Well, you know, what in the name of the show suggests that we're so narrow cast, <laughs> like those articles of impeachment? Okay, so you are from, can I call it Dead Deadspin? Yeah, or, you know, Undeadspin is what the Twitter account is now. But okay. yes, the like zombie deadspin. Zombie deadspin. We haven't come up with a new name for it yet. Which means that you have vast moral authority right now. Is that so? And that's why I think you could come out, because, ladies and gentlemen of our listeners, we have Deadspin, which was was a great sports site with great writers that everybody loved. And then it, it's, it died like in a total fantastic telenovela with just like horrible mustachioed evil overlords. <laughs> and that means that ev- all of the brilliant writers from Deadspin are like profits now. So whatever you say about anything for the next six months, from baseball to gluten to Donald Trump, is just right because you're righteous. I would like to think that's true, and yet I really feel like you're underestimating how stupid I can be. Okay, well, you did come out guns blazing in Intelligence or in New York Magazine, and I just love this story, even though, man, it is like set up... What is gall? It's it's set up to be galling. Yeah. I think gall is something acidic, and that is how it made me feel for what it's worth, because you start out all kind of like you're you're kind of ahead of the um, ahead of the thinking on Thanksgiving debates. Turns out nobody talked about politics at Thanksgiving, even though I wrote one of those pieces of how to talk about politics at Thanksgiving. You chastise people like me who care about no, Thanksgiving oh, debates. No, no, other, no it's the, other, the other people. The other Not, people. You're, you're fine. I wrote about UFC rules and Thanksgiving debates. And no, <laughs> no, you can't drop your mouth guard and you can't fake injuries, in my view. Those are two things. You can't be timid in the octagon. Okay. Anyway, and then you go on to just broadside Barack Obama, because why not? <laughs> There's stuff in there that I can definitely see why it would annoy people. I feel like I've written enough stuff about what, like, just a horrible clown Trump himself is. Like, the the discourse 
to use an awful word to describe an awful thing around the time of the that period of the impeachment proceedings yeah was so frustrating to me the obama bit that i that i criticized was this tweet that he put out right before the holiday that was kind of like, hey, if you're going to do some arguing, like, here's some tips and tricks on to, you know, to most effectively re- remind your interlocutor that you have a shared humanity and whatever, yeah. All of which is, again, very uh, laudable and true, but also just fucking not where we are right now. Yeah. You know that you you say, I thought this was actually, I mean, I don't want to say, I actually didn't find this galling. I found it fantastically inspiring, this piece, just to be clear. But um, oh, but um, you say it's sort of Freakonomic scented tips and Niebuhr, as in Reinhold Niebuhr, influenced humility, um, which for um, newer um, humans on Earth, people who don't know Reinhold Niebuhr, just look to James Comey as his proxy. <laughs> it's a devastating own on Reinhold Thank you. So Freakonomics scented. I like that because you're right. When was the last tips and tricks and hacks, life hacks, come from a time before hacks meant brains, you know, laid to waste by Facebook? Yeah. You know? It all implies the idea of there being like a lever that when you pull it, something happens. Yes. You know, so these are these ideas of like, you know, here's some stuff that like will help you through this legible knowable process yes through which things occur which is like at this point feels like a thousand years ago right exactly and like and right the tim ferris thing of take naps and get the circumference of your feces by figuring out how much protein (laughs) he really said that in one of the books all right and obama did something like that in a tweet said here's some here's some ways that you can um argue better right smarter that kind of like 2010 Mm -hmm. talk and then he did this kind of religious thing, which is like when they go low, we go high. Niebuhr. We have our common humanity. You put it in caps, our common humanity. And then Trump had a different tweet right around that day. Was that Thanksgiving Day? It was the day before Thanksgiving. I know because I saw it. I was walking home from a friend's house that I'd gone to see, you know, as I have done for now 20 years Whoa. before Thanksgiving. Yeah. And yeah, definitely like seeing the the image of Trump's head photoshopped onto Sylvester Stallone's glistening Rocky Three body or whatever it was. Yeah, Definitely yeah. not something that made me feel more at home in the town where I grew up. Wait, where are you from Philly? I'm from Ridgewood, New Jersey. We just live, we live in Uncanny Chasm, Uncanny Valley, but more like where there's a real settlement. Like I think yeah. people have poured foundations now. Into yeah. in the Uncanny Valley. And yes, you look at a picture like that. With Obama, you get a little bit of like datedness. I think you say the word antique that he's talking about our common humanity. He's talking about ways to hack arguing. And then Trump produces this queasy making shallow fake. Right. I mean, I, I don't yeah. I don't think anyone, <laughs> I don't think anyone said, oh, look at Trump's abs. Although maybe they did. Yeah. But this weird image of himself grafted this thing. And your point is, how in the world would we ever find a midpoint between these two utterances? Yeah. And that's, I think, the point where, like, it, you know, being frustrated with Obama in 2019 is kind of a, a luxury in some ways. Yes, that's you know, right. Like we obviously have more urgent problems to deal with. Not to say it's wrong. It's just, you know, there's bigger fish to fry. But, yeah, the idea of, like, a conversation between those two perspectives. Like, if he, if he still thinks that that's happening, then he is not spending enough time. I mean, he doesn't even need to be, like, reading important stuff. Just current events will do yeah. Like, scanning the headlines will let you know that this isn't, like, shared humanity, you know, as important and, I think, 
inarguable a concept as it is for a functioning democracy, you know, and a humane culture. We're not really either of those things at this moment. Well, there is this weird thing. And I find my I mean, you you did sports writing and I did TV writing, which are just kind of are just like we just go for low writing effects. I mean, I don't want to drag you down with me, but we go low. And sometimes I wonder if given that there are the president staple gunned to Rocky in one part of our field of vision, that we're meant to create kind of counterweight memes that are equally revolting. But we tell ourselves we're kind of pulling the quote discourse back to shared humanity. Right. Yeah. Like right. Instead. So because shared humanity wouldn't get it there. It's like the right. middle of the tug of war. Well, like shared humanity, that's the whole like that's the Biden promise. Right. Is the idea that like we'll get back to that. But like first you have to exorcise the the demons and whatever, like get all the stains out of the carpet. And then you can go back to like reasoning together. Yes, that's right. I mean, right. House is on fire. So so we do something else first. But you know what? I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know either, man. I don't think that that shit seems like I don't see any indication that there's anybody to reason with right now. Like this is the sort of thing where I mean, politics is always about power, right? But at this point, it's like it's not about anything but power. I think that it's a Laurel Yanny. See, yeah. I'm the only person that still says that. But it's a Laurel Yanny thing where one person is saying it says Yanny and the other person is saying it might say Laurel or Yanny because of the sound waves. Yeah. Right. So right. like one person is saying, like, here's some numbers and things in front of our faces to observe. And the other person is saying Chupacabra. Yeah, right. It's Yanny or die. <laughs> it's Yanny or die. Exactly. <laughs> I will say that on the shared humanity, I have had some luck trying to shift the topic to just the the old stuff, but not the old stuff, but like the old stuff like like sick kids or addiction or fights with your mom. Right. Yeah. To, the, to the extent that I feel optimism, it's, it's for that reason, because I've had similar experiences. So what do you think of impeachment? Uh, it seems cool. I think we should do it. Yeah, I think we should go ahead and agree. Uh, <laughs> I think Nancy Pelosi, I know, you, I know you're like not a centrist, but... Yes, fair assessment. I mean, yes. Those like Bernie people who've had their boots at my throat since I was since <laughs> I grew up in New Hampshire, they're those Vermonters. I can't with them. Oh, boy. But, yeah. but I look, the dispute sidebar, the dispute between the U's and B's of the world, oh, that is so far down the list of things that I, I care about. I kind of feel the same way. Yeah. Like, again, something that we can work out. I oh, think, yeah. that, and again, I think that there's like the extent that I'm, I'm optimistic about it. It's, you know, I think that there's people that, you know, actually wanting things and then trying to do them is like, that's good politics, right? Yeah. Like, that's just like basically a way that you can get people to vote for you. Yes. And I feel like we're now so disillusioned with the idea that it was ever about finding the precise, perfect half point of every loaf. Yes, that's right. You know, so maybe we're talking about something different now, you know, going forward, at least like right now, of course, we're talking about impeachment and uh, whatever it is that Trump got mad about on Twitter since we started recording, but don't know about you. (laughs) I like that you also, what is so great about this column, and this is, there's nothing to argue about, which I kind of tried to completely copy a few days later, so don't look for that. Um, (laughs) I'm honored. (laughs) But what I really like here is that you are not, you know that sort of Confucian thing that people are doing on Twitter right now where they say, And you vote for Bernie, and that's how you reelect Trump. You vote for Biden, you reelect Trump. You don't campaign in in Hershey, Pennsylvania, 
re-elect Trump. I mean, who tells the people this? The election science fairy? Yeah, it's too early. I'm trying to not think or care about stuff like that. But man, there's just so much of it. Do you want to just opine about the narrow cast articles of impeachment that don't take up the Mueller stuff, meaning obstruction of justice. It feels like a, a missed opportunity to me. And again, I think that they successfully made the case. I don't want to like look a, a gift horse in the mouth here. Like I think that it that they proved what they set out to prove, right? Yeah. Which is that the I mean, as with Trump, it's always gonna be this this way, but it's like that whatever the thing that he very obviously appeared to be doing actually was what he was doing, which is fucking always true. And the only thing about him that is, you know, reliably consistent from one moment to the next. Yes. And so in some ways that's good. I just don't understand the reluctance to open this up and make it more about the actual, like the, the more general damage that he's done. I know you don't want to impeach a guy for being a jerk. Right. And they did find a thing here where I think that they did demonstrate that, you know, he committed some high crimes and misdemeanors. Yeah. But it's not the one that gets me the most outraged, you know, and it might be that it's that the office itself has sort of that the responsibilities of it have metastasized over the last couple of generations to the point where you can say that the stuff that that really does turn my stomach about the administration, the idea of, uh, you know, kids in concentration camps and the sort of privatizing of public goods throughout. And I mean, just all the the sort of the ugliness, the stuff that it pollutes the air and the water, like like in a literal way, as much as it pollutes the culture and the the conversation. Like the groundwater and the substrate would just be completely jacked. Sometimes that's what it feels like in, Mm -hmm. I don't know, you called it the discourse. I'll call it that too. In the language, in the American language. Such a lousy word. But yeah, the the conversation or the language seems much better to me. But it does, as you say, it does feel like something is, something's uniquely poisoned. And that's the thing that we want to put our finger on. On the other hand, the thing to me, putting torque on the language, on our experience, on our moods, on our physical health, on the lives and now many deaths of the kids in concentration camps, is this crazy tug of the president toward these other autocrats who have his heart. And, you know, and that's what I thought that the Swalwell, I don't know if you saw it, but Eric Swalwell's duet with Dan Goldman yesterday. Yeah, the yes or no question. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I thought that was really excellent. It was kind of a reminder of what Swalwell actually is good at, which is not running for president. But like, there's the whole point of having prosecutors on your side, if you must have them, is that they're really good at asking questions like yeah. that. Yeah. And, you know, the just the like, well, who would this benefit? Who would this benefit? Because it's kind of like, okay, it's kind of like, I don't even know where my head is right now, but it's kind of like when someone's having an affair, either on you or like they're a friend of yours and they're having an affair with someone else and they're not telling you. But there's like this weird tug where they keep looking down at their phone and kind of nervously, barely paying attention, you know, and they've just got something else huge on their minds. And that's what mm-hmm. I feel like is always going on with Trump is that he's meeting with Sergei Lavrov today. As Eric Swalwell said, these just inexplicable things he did on the phone with Zelensky under ordinary circumstances, including mentioning just, uh, you know, esoterica like CrowdStrike and, and lots of gibberish, he does because he's in the gravitational pull of another, you know, overlord, another Montgomery Burns that's not visible to us. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So I think yesterday, Ellie Mistal was watching the hearings and he just said, you know, the lying can just be so demoralized. Like you're just crushed when you hear another person, yeah. trot out, another one of the Republicans trot out the pinwheel eye lies. And, you know, just so vertiginous and devastating to our brains, you know, and you can practically feel your just the insult to your reason. And yeah, um, and I, it's awful. It's awful. It, it's, and it's the sort of thing that it feels like corny to like, I try not to tweet about it too much because, you know, it's not funny. It's not an especially, you know, like it's hard to, to be insightful about yeah. it because like basically what you said is, is correct. And that's as far as it goes. Like somebody lying to your face feels like really shitty. Yes, that's right. It feels really shitty. I think that's, and, and it feels really like, I guess that's why I'm thinking of the affair thing or something consequential that people were lying to you about. Maybe it felt this way around Deadspin or just any time I've been part of something kind of collapsing like I was at a startup and, you know, nobody's telling you and they're just like, you know, perks are disappearing and salaries are getting cut and yeah. then one day it's vanished like a boiler room. But that said, we're all trying to liken this to past experiences and I remember when Trump was first elected, I was walking around muttering to myself, looking for any kind of historical precedent and just having to dig through my limited uh, historical education. And, you know, going from things like, is this 9-11? Is this Nixon? Is it the Holocaust? Is it Stalin? Is it Vietnam? And I kind of settled after I thought, is he worse than George Bush, George W. Bush? you know, the verdict's still out, that we have to go down, speaking of shared humanity, to body count. And so far, I was looking up the lies about Vietnam and Cambodia, and and even Afghanistan, more recently in the U.S., Mm -hmm. and there is something different about gaslighting in the media and us having to listen to Jim Jordan and us having to listen to Colin Powell lie about WMDs and then people go off to war and die for it, right? And hundreds of thousands of people die for no reason. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And so I'm trying to just say, just, you know, watch the number of deaths at the border so that because that will give a better idea of when, I don't know, of when a next kind of mobilization, what a next mobilization might look like. Right now, it does seem like this, it's grinding, but the this you know tedious process that america invented to get around violence to get around assassinations namely impeachment is doing its kind of boring administrative state work and you know we keep talking about the assaults on the media but you know you and i are allowed on these airwaves with ample promotion from the itunes or whatever it's called now um to um yeah. you know to to say the president sucks and come up to the edge of you know arguing for sedition and And I do think that, I don't know, I think the Vietnam era lies were worse, but I don't know. I mean, I wasn't there for them, so they're worse now because I can feel them in my cells. Yeah. See, this is this is what's weird about about that, because I I agree with you. But I think that there's something and this has been something that has troubled me in a way that I haven't been able to to sort out either in conversation with with friends or you know, therapists or just in, in my own writing yeah. that like, you're right that like by the numbers, the destruction and, and I think, you know, beyond that, that like 
Vietnam, Afghanistan, Iraq, all of that is an order of magnitude worse than what Trump has done because of the fact that it just he's not a very ambitious or focused leader, mm-hmm. right? So like he not to say he doesn't want to do bad things, but like he can't be bothered because he's just like watching TV and having a tummy ache all the time. Yeah. But there's something about those types of offenses that we code as normal somehow. That the idea of like, you know, a president lies to get you into war. There's that chilling bit of uh, Pelosi taking questions at Johns Hopkins not that long ago. Where she talked about, she was like, you know, I knew that they were lying about uh, weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Like, I knew that that Afghanistan wasn't going well. But like, I made the decision not to impeach because like, you know, again, it's Pelosi. So she doesn't exactly close the circuit. Mm -hmm. But it's the sort of thing where the idea of there being like, well, some things are are more important than doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. In this case preserving the constitutional right of a president to fuck up the lives of hundreds of thousands of people across the globe and get a bunch of our soldiers killed. And that is, it's galling to use the word of the podcast (laughs) and it's, and, you know, and chilling in its way too. But also it's like, you can see how somebody who's like a, you know, lifetime establishment like institutionalist Mm -hmm. would look at stuff like that and be like, well, yeah, like this is different. Like this is, this is not, you know, like I would impeach somebody for uh, using the office of the president for electoral gain in a way that's more oafish and overt than anyone since Nixon has done. Yes. Like, and that, and that is an offense and you should be, you know, impeached for it. But then the, the idea of that being coupled with but I wouldn't do it for somebody lying to get us into war because that's just the job. That's just the job. I mean, yes, I think you're absolutely right. And I'd forgotten that moment at the Hopkins thing. Another thing it brings to mind in my recent memory, this is going to be a joke about my age, is World War One. So we're exactly 100 <laughs> years later. And there's this incredible miniseries called 39 Days about the run up to World War One, And just exactly what you're describing, like the run up to the Iraq War, where it's kind of business as usual, and then you have some czars and kaisers acting weird, and then it's kind of like, I guess we're in for a penny and for a pound on this one, and then everyone's dead. Yeah. You know? World War One is one that I think, I wish I understood it better. And I was a history major in, in college, oh, yeah. and but that was not a, a subject that I, I studied very intensely. But that, it absolutely didn't need to happen. It so didn't. I mean, it's just like the, one of the greatest atrocities in human history, and it's like, no one really fucking knows why. No one knows why. And But then the other thing, okay, yes, and... That's what you're describing with Pelosi and everybody who went along with the Iraq war, that they were just like, I knew this wasn't really working, but this is that's how it goes. So there's something cyclical in those wars. And I'm including Cambodia and Vietnam because I've just been looking at the lies told around those things. But then there's something not cyclical in Trump, which is sort of moving us to the vaguely optimistic idea that he has surfaced. Some of the rot in the Republican Party, some of the rot even in, dare I say it, some things systematic in American life and politics and certainly mm-hmm. in uh, in money culture and mob tactics at levels we didn't understand and widespread. And I still can't believe widespread pedophilia. Like we look at Jim Jordan. Oh, my God. You know, yeah. I like mean, it's just... just sometimes you're just like, wait a second. Did Jim Jordan stand by while a coach raped a bunch of wrestlers? Well, there's all this shit. So many people that were involved with the campaign have been involved in that. Like yes. his biggest, like the guy that ran his campaign in, I guess, Oklahoma. Yes, exactly. And that stuff is like, you know, <laughs> this is where you can really wind up going down some some 
dark hallways. Yes. That like I, I mean, I think that it, it makes me feel naive in a sense. Yes. That like I knew that the people in charge of things were not our type of people. Yeah. You know, that yeah. like on both sides of it, for the most part, that like you don't get to be president unless you there's something wrong with you. You yeah, don't want to be yeah, president that's unless right. there's something kind of wrong with you. And I think that's true of a lot of, you know, certainly the way that the, the Senate has, you know, understood itself. Basically, I mean, you know, just as this sort of like a house of lords without the name and all that. Yeah. But like this is it's weird and it's not surprising that it would be bad. And yet I remain surprised by how perverse in, in so many different ways it can be. I mean, that like, mm-hmm. for Trump, it's weird because I feel like he is sort of sui generis in his way because he's like, he really is like, I think, dumber and more avaricious than even his peers are, that he's just like more dedicated to his own shit and his own aggrandizement. Yeah, yeah. But I think you're absolutely right that like the idea of, like someone like that, especially someone who's like, you know, charismatic and famous in his way, but like, he's not really like a wizard you know, like, he's not, like, a great speaker. He's not, he's kind of unpleasant to look at. There's a lot of stuff there that, like, it's not the sort of thing where, I mean, this was always the story that we got told about Hitler in high school history, was that, like, he was politically a mastermind and a great speaker, and he galvanized people, and, you know, it's, it doesn't make his ideas easier to to countenance or whatever, but you can sort of see how in a, a bottomed-out political culture, a charismatic generational talent with bad ideas could wind up being in charge. Trump is not that, though. Right. He just took over a party that didn't believe in anything and that doesn't have any ideas that people really want to support. Yeah, I don't know. I think I've probably said too many times before on the show, but I think there's a death drive in this president and in certain Republicans. Like, you know how sometimes if you don't know what's going on in a certain world, some people might be, and so like the affair thing, but like writ large, that there might be just despair and death drive and Thanatos and Thanos. <laughs> Like from the yeah. Avengers. I don't think that's wrong at all. Like, I think that especially for like that generation of of politicians that like, I mean, Trump is, is you know, wasn't a politician until very recently. But that like, I think that that like the darkest, most curdled, like boomer worldview is mistaking the end of their lives or their potency with the end of the world. Yeah. And just trying to get every fucking thing that they can before the lights go out. Yes, yes, I think that's right. Oh, I love that you just went to OK Boomer. Yeah, I mean, I don't feel great about it, especially because it's like it's not like any other generation is, has covered itself in glory either. Yeah. But there is something about that that feels like unique to me, that this was like, you know, a, a generation that lived out its thirst for self-determination in public yeah. from its youth through to its old age. And it turns out that like when they wanted or when it seemed like they wanted liberation and, you know, equality and all of this stuff that, you know, got talked about in the 60s that like now we've seen what it resolves to, which is that they want to to be in charge and they want everything. And they want not, and they want to be thanked for it. Yeah, right. God, they really do like being thanked for it. I think Obama has worried <laughs> there's not enough gratitude for him. And I just passed my yeah. local CVS, and there's just right next to the, you know, Jesus's tips for better living. There's an like remembering <laughs> the Obamas, like commemorative book. I mean, like, I, I'm sure it's not in every CVS in every county, but yeah. anyway, people love presidents too much, man. That's just full stop. I think all presidents want more gratitude. Uh, people get, people People get too misty about it. It's just the person you hire to do a job. Yeah. You mentioned something, I think, about 
among Republicans or centrists or the apolitical um, whom I know, the, the sort of right of center, older than boomers group. Okay, so so my friend's parents, approaching mm-hmm. 80. They There are a group of people, and this is going to wind back to something of acute interest to you, who, um, you know, just there's a lot of like lacunae in what they, when they talk. They're just this vague aphasia or something like what is happening and so i was just talking to someone who wrote in Kasich in 2016 and plans (laughs) and plans this time to write in bloomberg no matter whether he wins the, the nomination or not so essentially switching parties but not exactly and i was talking to them a little bit actually right around thanksgiving talking to them a little bit about impeachment and other things and they had long since decided trump's very vulgar but switching parties is i mean you're a, you're like a sports person right like don't you not switch what team you root for unless don't you never switch what team I you think, root for yeah but i think that politics is is different because it for people that have the the privilege to feel this way about it, that it's a way to sort of express yourself in the same way that writing in John Kasich is a way of saying, like, I just simply don't approve of either of these candidates. What I want is something that is more like me and more reflective of my values than the two that the the populace at large chose. Okay, so Kasich and mayonnaise and milk and just get that in your head. So I'm talking to this guy (laughs) who says he vote, you know, is going to do Bloomberg. And then he said, you know what, I just feel like all these angry people don't represent real Americans and that real Americans are watching. Do you know where I'm going? The Hallmark Channel. Yes, there it is. 2016, uh, Hidden Figures came out, and I watched it in a movie theater, smugly in my white pantsuit, ready to vote for Hillary Clinton. Bernie long since vanquished. We'd never have to hear from him again. <laughs> and Hillary is shoo-in for the presidency. I was already gunning for impeachment. I was exactly the people Devin Nunes describes. And I was watching Hidden Figures, again, smugly, thinking... All we're going to be doing is sharpening the tip of the pencil. We're going to increasing civil rights and enfranchisement. And now we're going to find out about the black female scientists whose contributions to aerospace have been overlooked. And, you know, from then it's going to be like, I don't know what, it's going to be like trans, but also, you know how like mafia movies, they say like this mafia movie is actually about low level members of the mafia. And this one's about the Irish members of the mafia. So we're going to be doing increasingly sensitive, subtle, perceptive. Like a a fuller understanding of the broader American experience. Exactly, but also like just down to the like pointillist details of each person's contribution to each field and you know we would have a whole new history and I was sitting in there thinking this is amazing this is a big Hollywood movie and it is on the kind of you know corrective to social history that I was sure we were ready for it when I was in college and then we started to hear and then it seemed like things backslid and anyway I was ready for representations of black Canadian identity that kind of thing and mm-hmm. then We have Trump, and it's just like sows the fields with salt. It's just not, that's not going to happen. Okay, by contrast, this man I was talking to spent that summer that I was watching Hidden Figures watching the Hallmark Channel and thinking, this is America. It's not about increasing civil rights. It's about just sort of a warm, shared humanity and kind of benign sentimentalism and whatever else is going on in the Hallmark Channel. And he was also wrong. 
Have you watched much of it? I know that you're, that's your the old TV critic life is in the past now, but have you dabbled in the universe? I dabbled in the universe of Hallmark movies, but only back then, and I'm having trouble calling them to mind, except sometimes they would have Melissa Gilbert. What are they like? I have a podcast I do with a friend called Dave and Jeb Aren't Mean, where we watch Hallmark movies yep. and talk about them. And we've done like 75 of them or something Amazing. at this point. And I'd started... My wife would watch them as sort of like background noise for like removing toenail polish or whatever on a Sunday. Sure. And there's something very lulling about them uh, because they're so formulaic. I mean, and the ways that they're strange are like the ways that, again, like we sort of tend to think of as normal. Like the idea of like your grandparent giving you a lot of like romantic advice or whatever. Like that would be strange if your actual grandma was like, I like him. You should settle down and move back here, too. Like that would be weird if your grandma said that to you. But, uh, you know, it's not weird in the Hallmark universe. It happens almost every movie. But the ones that they used that they made, I don't know, as recently as like five years ago were strange. They have since, like, that channel and Hallmark Movies and Mysteries are money machines. These movies do crazy viewership numbers, and they make them in sort of like an assembly line type of way now. So there's like, I think there's something like 60 or 80 movies that are part of the, like, countdown to Christmas that they're doing. I refer everyone to HallmarkChannel.com because I'm looking at Double Holiday, which, okay, so there's, yes, 12 Days of Christmas, there's Cheerful Christmas, When Calls the Heart, Home for Christmas, there's It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas. I'm looking at these movies, I'm looking at A Cheerful Christmas, which features a blonde woman in a spaghetti strap dress and a man in a what looks like a sort of pulled together tuxedo and dinner jacket. Mm -hmm. They are standing in front of a sitcom-like staircase, you know, that staircase that goes up to the first, second floor that doesn't exist. Yes. And they have fairy lights and they have gilded things and they have greenery around them. They code as very middle class. Like, they, it doesn't look aspirationally, it doesn't look like Melania's taste. And, you, okay, the, yeah. the circle I'm trying and failing to close is, what does this have to do with Trump? Do they ever mention anything that sidles up to politics? Uh, short answer is no. But the longer answer is that there is, so there's a lot of, of normativity going yeah. on in these. Like, in the sense that it's like, the idea of it is, it's very much like, Small towns good, cities bad, living near or with your parents as an adult is like benign. I mean, they're for older people and those are older people's sentimentalities for the most part. But I think that there is a sort of a secret and often completely indistinguishable pulse of not politics, but values, for lack of a better word, in these movies that there's. And it's not just that, you know, that like home is best and family matters Mm -hmm. and all of that. Like that's there. But there is also this element of like things that I think if you look at them without the valence of thinking like like a small business, for instance, like you would feel better shopping in a store on a quaint Main Street than you would shopping in a a Walmart. Probably. Yes. Right. And I think this is true of people across the political spectrum, that this is like a thing that we've been sort of given to understand is like that one of them is more special and more human than the other. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I think that there is a sort of a politics to that. Mm -hmm. Now, it gets complicated when you start thinking about like who tends to support Trump and it tends to be like the people that would own that store like might be into QAnon, you know, like they might be like completely swirly eyed maniacs. Yes. They often, you know, that like, and a lot of those people, like that is his base. 
But at the same time, but yeah, you know, I think there's something there's something to that. I just learned yesterday that Doug Collins, ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee, he and his wife had a scrapbooking store. And I think maybe she still does. But scrapping and scrapbooking seem to really go hand in hand with Hallmark. And as you say, yeah, he, it's a very it's definitely one of the Hallmark pursuits, about, like the way that there's like the five elements of hip hop. Yes. It's like the five elements of Hallmark. It's like scrapbooking. Yes. Tinsel. Grandparents. Cookies. Exactly. And fairy lights, maybe, or, well, at least I'm just looking at the seasonal ones. But, and then Collins is a QAnon type. So there is, there are some adjacencies that are kind of, maybe it's like, well, inside this space is this old idea of the silent majority. And, and that's, I think, what it was a proxy for when this man said, but what about the people that watch the Hallmark Channel? That, you know, you can just go to your happy place and have your sense of the middle class shored up, and that's what it is. Whether or not you want to wage war to keep it in place, as some Republicans might want to do to sustain this fantasy, to make the world yeah. safe for the Hallmark Channel by keeping out whoever's threatening this ideal, is maybe not up to you. Maybe yeah. you just want to stay inside. These are a lot of interiors. Nobody seems to leave their house on this. <laughs> yes. Right. Well, you know, it's so cold. It's so cold. The weather outside is frightful. Yeah. I mean, and get inside. Well, you know, you understand how that goes. And yet I think this is like this is the other like sort of the more sinister part of like the the latent politics of Hallmark stuff. Right. It is all indoor shit. Yeah. And it's all about, you know, there's like there's outdoor activities and indoor activities. Each movie has to have one of them. So like maybe you're baking cookies, but then you have a snowball fight or you go to the, the Christmas pageant or whatever. But any of that stuff. It's about who is invited in and who's not. Yes. Right? And so that like the values are generally, you know, again, like it's hard to argue with them. You know, the idea that like like family does matter. Community does matter. Like these movies do talk about that. And yet, like it's not interrogated in any sort of meaningful way. And so each of these these small towns that people go back to will have like one twinkly, like a black lady that runs the bakery that has known you since you were a little kid, uh, you know, TV actress. Yeah. Candace Cameron or whoever. And that's like, that is it. So that like the, the, the center of all of these stories is like normal white people dealing sometimes with, with grief or with sadness, but in these very kind of like zipless ways where it's clear mm. that nobody's actually, you know, getting hurt. The only one that I can think of that's a departure from this, and it wasn't a good movie. Mm-hmm. Were you, are you like a Veronica Mars head? No, not at all, actually. Um, not Really? I just, you disliked it? I, no, I took the wrong road. You know, one of those things where it was like, it was on one night and I thought, should I watch this or Lost? And then I watched Lost and then I never yeah. got back to it. Yeah. The actor Jason Doring, who plays like sort of the smoldering boyfriend type okay. in that, is in it's the only Hallmark movie that he's done. And he... Alicia Witt has done this a little bit when she, as an actress too, he, he seems too convincingly bereft as a guy that's like a widower, oh. and it, the whole movie is blown off the rails by that. Alicia Witt's the same thing; she's too good at crying. Oh, just right, brings the actual pain into the equation. Yeah, and so you're kind of like, nah, you, like you're fucking up the vibe, man. Like this is like you should be like making a gingerbread house right now, like not looking haunted by the loss of the love of your life. Exactly. We outside your your beautiful Victorian interiors, we are the ones looking haunted. You and me, David, we're the ones looking haunted so they don't have to because we're confronting the horrible weather out here. My guest has been David Roth, late of Deadspin. He has a fantastic article out in New York Magazine called There's Nothing to Argue About. He's also the host of the podcast Dave and Jeb Aren't Mean. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. 
That's it for today's show. What'd you think? Find us on Twitter. I'm there at page 88. The show is at Real Trumpcast. And then go over to slate.com slash Trumpcast plus and become a Slate Plus member. Get the patch. Sew it onto your uniform. Be a wee below. Today's the day. Plus, members get all of Slate's podcasts ad-free for only $35 for that first year. And best of all, you'll be supporting our work. It's patriotism. So go to slate.com slash Trumpcast plus. Our show today was produced by Melissa Kaplan and engineered by Merritt Jacob. John D. Domenico is, as always, our voice of Donald Trump. Find him at johnnyd23 on Twitter. And I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Joe Biden wants to box me. Really? He doesn't know I was a tremendous fighter in college. My fighting name was Kid Pro Quo. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.